Welcome to My Life, Chassidah Supplied, episode 318. This program is dedicated in memory of Sholom ben Hareel. We are now in the second week of the three weeks, the saddest period in the Jewish calendar. This period is also called Bein Hamtsarim, taken from the book of Lamentations, a verse in Echa, Bein Hamtsarim. Can be translated, can be translated as the, between the dire straits. Meitzar means a limitation, a constraint, and the two mitzarim, which punctuate the two borders, Shivasa Batamas, the seventeenth of Tamas, and Tishabav, the, the ninth of Av. The days which, respectively, the walls around Jerusalem were breached and the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, both the first and second temple on the ninth of Av. So that period in between is called Bein Hamtsarim. And yet, despite the fact that it's a period of mourning and grieving, we don't do weddings and other celebrations and music, but there's no such thing as a negative as an end in itself. In Judaism, everything has a deeper element to it. And that's why we say, These days, these fast days, the Pasuk in Zechariah, cited by the Rambam at the end of the laws of Tainius, these days will be transformed into days of celebration and holidays. Not just eliminated, transformed. That means something greatly positive will come out of these days. They carry potency and tremendous potential. So while we obviously follow the halachas and the laws that tell us how to behave in these days and tell us what not to do, yet we see that the Rebbe, specifically the Rebbe, in the spirit of chassidus in general, demonstrates and shows us how to use these days to the fullest while following halacha guidelines to maximize the simcha that we can during these days. By increasing in Torah Mitzvahs, we increase in joy. Again, according to the guidelines. So the Rebbe instituted that in these days we should learn the laws of Beis Amigdash in the Rambam, in Mesech Tamidus, in the Pesukim in Yecheskel. We should increase in Torah and Zdokah, Tziyim B'mishpah Tepodah V'shavah B'zdokah, the conclusion of next week's Haftarah, Shabbos Chazain, that Zion will be redeemed through Torah, through Halacha, and its captives through charity. More Avas Yisrael, more closeness, more kindness. When it comes to nine days, which begin this week, Dudu Siyum Imijdeh, Siyum, when you finish a tractate, it's a Suddhist Mitzvah, so it's a form of celebration, again, which is allowed and appropriate in these days. All ways to reveal the deeper, the pnimius, the deeper forces at work during the three weeks. And the lesson to us, Chassidus applied, is very obvious. It's not just a theological, conceptual idea that there lies deeper good within these darker days, but it's also a personal lesson. 
that no matter what mates are you are in, no matter what constrains you, no matter what constricts you, personally, marriage, in your work, in your attitudes, psychologically, emotionally, it's min ha karasi ka anani bamerchev ka. Indeed, our constraints, when we call out from a narrow space, from a, a locked space that limits us, the response comes from the most expansive way. And this is especially relevant to our times. No, not to compare, you can't compare challenges. There's no question in history there have been much more challenging times than we have now. Despite the deaths and despite the, uh, the, the illnesses, and God should bless and protect everyone, and give a refuge lament to all those needed. But still, to compare this to World War II, to the Holocaust, to other tragic events in history, but we don't compare. Every situation has its challenges. We have a Meitzar now too. We have limitations. Whether it's tra- restrictions on travel, our summer plans, our children sending them to camps, school, all the different things that are affecting us, that are constraining us, work, the economy, and obviously health itself, are all a form of benam tsarim. that's a meitzah. So our attitude is, yes, it's a challenge, we have to do whatever it takes to deal with that, but it's also an opportunity to reveal the deeper good, the deeper light. This is a time where more than ever, we need to become closer to each other. We need to be more charitable, more giving, kinder, and find ways to celebrate in deeper and innovative ways. And that indeed is what's happening. You see that happening. So it's a personal lesson that can be more appropriate than today to our times that we learn from Ben Hamtzarim, from this period, these three weeks. This week will be Menachemov. So, on one hand, it's the saddest month of the year. Nine days later comes Tishabov, the fifth of Av. I'm sorry, the ninth of Av, the day when the temple was destroyed. And yet, we call the name the month Menachem Av. So, on one hand, it's Av. The Shalor writes, Of is an acronym, Aleph Beis, for Edom Bovel. The first temple destroyed by Bovel. The second temple by Edom. So Aleph Beis, Edom Bovel. But it's Menachem of. A day that consoles us. Menachem is a consolation, a comforting. That will happen, of course, after Tisha B'Av, the Shabbos afterwards. is called Shabbos Nachamu. Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami. The beginning of the seven-week period of Shiva de Nechemta. So there again you see the comfort and the consolation that comes, that follows the destruction, that follows Tzolosu de Paranusa, the three weeks of affliction. So we see that there's always the positive within the negative. So though we're not there yet, but even on Tisha B'av we say Nachem, that Rizal says why, because Mashiach is born in the afternoon. Menachem of the consolation, the comforting, of all of us, even in a period that seems ostensibly like a negative, because there's always a deeper, there's the Yehovchu, we're going to transform it. And you transform it by doing whatever you can now to looking deeper into ourselves, into our souls, 
and refining deeper resources and, and greater strengths. And indeed, this coming Shabbos is called Shabbos Chazon. And here again you see Chazon, Chazon Yeshayo, the vision of Yeshayah. Isaiah the prophet, what vision? The tragic vision of destruction. But the end of the Haftarah, again, talks again about redemption through Torah, through charity. And this comes to explain an interesting fact. If Yitzhak Baditchever, as cited by Rabbi Hill Parachar and as explained by the Rebbe, every year Shabbos Chazain says about Chazain, says Shabbos Chazain, vision, the Shabbos of vision, because on this Shabbos, every Jew is shown the third base Amigdash from a distance to evoke yearnings, gaguim, and do whatever it takes to repair our ways and help the bringing of the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash HaShlishi, the third temple, the third permanent temple. <clears throat> and he gives an analogy of a father, a king, who in love of his son, he weaves for him a beautiful shirt, beautiful garment. And he gives it to his son, his son wears it, plays with it, ultimately gets it torn, comes back, and in his love, the father weaves him even a better, more beautiful garment. And again, the same thing happens. The third time around, the father says, no, this time I'm going to weave it for you and I'll show it to you every year, Shabbos Chazayin, from a distance. So you should earn your way when you'll work at it and not take it for granted and ultimately internalize your commitment. Then you will get that garment, the third temple, and this time permanently and it will never be torn again. Every year the Rebbe would quote and cite this and explain that even though we don't see the Beis Amidash, we see its effects on us, on that yearning. But the simple interpretation of Chazen is the, is the vision of tragedy, the vision of destruction. And here David turns it into the vision of seeing the third temple, because it's the same vision. It depends which part of the vision it is. If you look in the external part of the vision, yes, you see destruction. But the deeper vision is the destruction, is to rebuild even a greater structure, the third temple. The end of the story, of the end of Masech Tamakas, is the story of Rabbi Akiva and his colleagues are looking at the desolate temple mount after its destruction. And his colleagues are crying. Rabbi Akiva is laughing, smiling. Why are you crying? He says, they say, because look, we see fox running through the place that was once the Holy of Holies, the holiest place on earth. God's divine presence. And is the fulfillment, the tragic fulfillment of the prophecy of destruction. Why are you laughing? Why are you smiling? And Rabbi Kiva says, because if you continue reading, you see, that's not the end of the story. You continue reading, you see, this will all be a prelude to the rebuilding of the third temple and the Geula. And you know what they said to Rabbi Akiva? Akiva nechamtoni, Akiva nechamtoni. A double. Akiva, you've consoled us. Akiva, you've consoled us. You've comforted us. You've comforted us. Like nachamu, nachamu. A double. You know why? One comfort is only is not enough. Because we need also a comfort of transforming the negative into a positive. It's not just saying, okay, the negative was past and it's gone. It's transformation. We don't go back to square one. We redeem, we transform 
Why Rabbi Akiva saw something they didn't see? Because his life was such. He began his learning when he was 40 years old. Famous story. Till then, he did not learn any Torah. He was born to a family of converts, or was a convert, different opinions. His life was not easy, so he already saw in his own personal life, he was able to see a vision of growth that comes after desolation and difficulties. So he reveals it for us. This is the story, my friends. The three weeks, the nine days, yes, they reflect in many ways the pains and the difficulties of life today and in general life throughout history. But they also teach us a deeper story, a story of redemption, the birth of redemption from the ashes of destruction. That's how we have to see it. The Rebbe cites the Yalkut Shmeini. Yalkut Shmeini says, Yove Aryeh, V'chedesh Aryeh, V'chorev Aryeh. The lion came in the month of the lion and destroyed the lion. The lion is Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Came in the month of the lion because of is Leo. It's Maslitz sign is lion. And destroyed the lion, the Beis Hamikdash, the temple called the lion. Almanas, however, on condition that Yovei that the lion will come and rebuild the lion in the month of the lion. Lion here be Aryeshog Mila Yira, referring to God, the lion. In the month of the lion, Imov will rebuild the lion, the temple, the third base Amigdash Ashlish. Second base Amigdash, and then the third base Amigdash, the permanent one. Almanas, on condition, not just two stages. This transforms, the building transforms the negative. And this is the lesson that each of us can learn, especially in our times. Everyone dealing with their own particular setback, or concealment, or constraint, again, on a physical, emotional, health, psychological, spiritual level, that this is a time when you dig deeper and you find those inner resources, and you can have the power, not just to eliminate, but to transform even the negative. And that's our lesson that we learned from Nachimov and from Shabbos Chazay in this coming Shabbos. Well, in this spirit, let me say, you probably noticed, and I'm saying this only not to toot our horn, but to show that we've learned the lesson ourselves. We don't just talk about it. Right when the pandemic broke, around Purim time, when we took, started taking it seriously, we immediately rose to the occasion. Not only did we not retreat, we began expanding and growing our programs because it was clear we were trained for this moment. This is the time to dig deeper and to broaden and to reach. We need more strength, more courage, more hope, more light. And that's exactly what we did. Hundreds of additional programs, more than we've done in many years and reaching far larger numbers. I say it not just to acknowledge what we've done, but to demonstrate that each of us have to be that way. This is not a time for um, resignation, for retreat. It's a time to rise, to dig deeper. And we've created these resources that many of you benefited from. My life continued. We started the Spiritual Antidote every day, a daily three-minute video, with hundreds of other programs. So I encourage you, I just, not just encourage, I think this is our 
our duty and obligation and gift that in a time like this, we need to rise and be proactive and generate and initiate, reach out to people, share with them. All it is is a press of a button, a phone call. If you're looking for material, we have plenty of material. If you don't find anything else, send a spiritual antidote. It's a beautiful three-minute video. I personally deliver a message that talks about how to bolster and how to strengthen our spiritual immunity and inner strengths and many, many other ways. The key is not to be a bystander. And this is also the best role model we can be for our children, for our students, and for each other. That when we look back, it's not just about looking back, that remembering 2020, this period will be remembered for the rise of the human spirit in face of its challenges, in face of us of the unknown, of not knowing what the schedule is going to be like. We're not in control of what will be tomorrow. So many, so many uncertainties. We became better people, each of us, as an individual, as a family person, and work, people we know, our sphere of influence, and beyond. This is taking the Bainam Tsarim, the Meitzar of our lives, and turning it into a springboard and a catalyst for great, tremendous growth, unprecedented growth. So in unusual times, we need unusual measures. So let's look at ourselves as partners. If you go to our website, MeaningfulLife.com, we created full array, a wide array of resources, special section, MeaningfulLife.com slash Corona, being updated every day. Plenty of materials on, for all types of people of all backgrounds, for men, women, children, addressing really all the issues of the human condition. Many of them are the issues we've always dealt with, but now they're all amplified. If a person was in a difficult marriage, this, this time can make it more difficult, or we can dig deeper and make it better. And the same thing with anything we're dealing with. If you're a lonely person, this is a time that can make someone lonelier. But we're not alone, because we're spiritually connected more than ever. Same at chassidahsupply.com. There too you'll find many resources. In addition to, of course, all, this, all the episodes of my life and the archives, and there you can also, and please use this opportunity to send, use the anonymous forum to ask a question, a comment, feedback, anything you'd like to share. We also have there Hasidic resources, classes on Samarvov, I am based. I do an, actually a daily live class every morning, 9.30 a.m. Eastern time. That You can find all the information there. It's on Zoom. And... Um, Please join us. It would be an honor. So, this is a little announcements about exactly that, not just talking about using this period of time, but actually doing it and recognizing the tremendous opportunity we have in this time period. Okay. With that, I will do a little cross-referencing to Menachem Ov and Dvorim Chazon, episode 76, 126, 172, 220, 270. These are episodes in earlier years where I discussed these topics. They could all be found there at chassidahsupply.com. And uh, a complete picture, I give the little cross-referencing. Segwaying right into a topic that is as relevant as ever, 
with a question in our title, Who is our greatest enemy? I'm sure everybody has their thoughts on this. Well, let me share mine. And uh, mine is based on, obviously, everything I've been trained and learned. Who is our greatest enemy? It's ourselves. Divisiveness, machlekes, period. That is our greatest enemy. And this is especially emphasized during this period. Why was the second base amygdala destroyed? Because of sinas chinam, baseless hatred. Baseless. Hatred, all hatred is unacceptable, but baseless, there's no base for it, no, no, no uh, ground, hate for no, on no grounds. And that's why the Rebbe emphasizes that the antidote, the solution for it, is baseless love, which means super rational love. That even if you don't have a reason, loving someone unconditionally. That's how you correct. You correct a problem from the problem. So our greatest enemy is exactly that, especially today. I don't mean today. Today, I mean in our generations. There was a time there were enemies outside of the Jewish people that were great, great enemies. Today, the greatest enemy is within. So a time like a period like now, should be a wake-up call. Beyond the fact that it's the three weeks, but in addition, the three weeks during a pandemic like this, a wake-up call of a sense of urgency to unite more than ever. And indeed, just yesterday, we read in the Parsha Matis Mase, Parsha Matis, talks about Hichaltsu. Mobilize, Moshe Rabbeinu mobilized an army to go fight a, fight a war against Midian. From the word Modain and Machlekes, Midian represents the archetype of divisiveness, of conflict, of discord. A war against Pirud, against disunity. A war for unity. And the Rebbe Rashab, in the year Tofresh Nuntes, 1899, Delivered a discourse, twice actually, because there, was a, there were battles going on. There was divisiveness going on in the community. You can read about it in the introduction and the story around the Hemshech Acholtzu Tafresh Nuntes. The Maimer Acholtzu Tafresh Nuntes. Where he talks about the negativity of, 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 of divisiveness and the power of unity. How everything in holiness is unified. Tikkun. Different entities. Harmony. Within diversity. Diversity, yes. But diversity can turn into divisiveness. And that's toyu. That's where everybody's out on their own and there's no cooperation and no working together and on the contrary, conflict. So in the words of the Arizal, before the creation of existence, the divine infinite energy, divine consciousness was the only thing there was. It was seamless. But God wants a tachtenim. He wants a world where there are different entities and they work together. So he created a tzimtzum, a concealment of that divine energy, allowing for independent consciousness to emerge with the goal that the independent consciousness would work toward reconnecting with its source, with the divine. And that individuals who were all had independent individual, individuality and independent consciousness would connect with each other but we're given free will. We can choose. And unfortunately, div- the div- diversity can lead to divisiveness. 
And divisiveness can lead to machlekes and war, and worse. And the goal is, however, to transform that. So in this period of time, this is a time when we honor and remember divisiveness, and that the antidote is Avas Yisrael and Agdus Yisrael like never before. So this has to be not just words, this has to be a call to action in the deepest possible way. So I usually don't like to necessarily read negative things or critique, but there are three notes that came my way recently that I've had in my archives that I'd like to share with you from the Rebbe, where he talks about this. And this is quite a, can hopefully jolt us all into a positive mode of action in this regard. Rabbi Yisrael Leibov, Olav HaShalom, was the head of Tzach for many years in Israel. So he wrote to the Rebbe about the activities they did in the years after the Six-Day War, about putting it in and so on, and how successful it was. And he writes that if the unity between Anash and Sheshleimenu, the community, was, was, was there, it would have exceeded, succeeded much more. The Rebbe responds in those words that it was succeeded more, much more, and he writes the Rebbe's words. If there was unity between Anash, one can say the activists among Anash, Mashiach would have already come. The Yetzir the evil inclination, is uh, plotting, conceiving, all forms of seduction. That's completely not rational, irrational. And until now, he's successful, that evil inclination. And God should have mercy. In a second note, the Rebbe writes, this is writing to his secretariat. There was obviously some type of machlekes, and the Rebbe writes, Loilis out of klal, becholin yonimela. Do not get involved, do not mix into any of these matters. And say openly and reveal, This is according to my explicit directive. If if due to all our sins, that Anash will behave like it's told in Kuntasi Klal, I totally do not agree that they should also suck me into this. And also not my secretariat. That's the second note. Here is the Atruk Savyad. And the third note that Rebbe writes. Vashem Yirachim, Akol Achenu. God should have mercy on all our brothers in Israel, including Lubavitch. That are working, exerting themselves and making an effort to create problems. And things much worse than problems. Out of nothing. Creating things out of nothing. Instead of receiving and absorbing the tremendous kindness and blessing given from above, she is kabli ade alke emes. 
to receive from that's coming from Elikeim as God, the true God. And through the Mechaber, the composer, the compiler, the author of Hicholzu that we refer to. And instead of receiving all that, they're preparing all kinds of excuses from the word Kapirish Emesle, a Maslo from the word Emesle, non truth. And the Yetzir is seducing them, the Yetzir Hara. Pass on the above to both sides, clearly of a, some disagreement. I mean, this is just a few of so many such notes. Taking this to heart, especially in a time like this, and this is not, I'm not referring to any particular story here. Don't read into my words. I'm not referring to anything in any specific way. Just, I'm speaking to myself as I speak to you. It's a wake-up call we're now. If not now, when? Rebbe says, clearly Mashiach would have already come. Everyone is praying for Mashiach. Everybody keeps talking, let's have Mashiach. In Tov Chavov, the Rebbe cited the Tzamech Tzedek, who said, Achdus between Chassidim will bring them to Mashiach, will lead them to Mashiach. Why is it so difficult? Why is it, on paper it's great on the books, but how do we bring it into action? It all comes down to you and I. We don't need dramatic, radical changes. We need a shift. We need to feel we're not part of the problem, but part of the solution. And simply, let's start on a very simple level, especially in the three weeks, what better time? Make it absolutely forbidden in any way to talk negatively about anybody in your home. It should be everywhere, not just in your home. But that's a good place to begin, a sacred place. Where your children are there, your family is there. Even if you have something to say, make sure it's not spoken about. Because as soon as you speak, you're already part of it. Number one. Number two, if you have any grudge, or you feel someone has a grudge to you, you pick up the phone or contact them in some way. It may be difficult for a moment. These shifts can change everything. And if we all do this individually and take the initiative, both to not allow ourselves to be sucked in in any way, and more importantly, to reach out, this is what the whole purpose is. The whole Teda was given to bring peace into the world. The, the, the whole Gemara ends, the Mishnah ends with, God could not find a keli, a container, a vessel, to contain blessing, except peace. It doesn't say, that he found a container. There can be other containers. He could not find anything that would be a bracha, a clay, except shalom. And shalom is not just absence of war. Shalom means completeness, wholesomeness, connection, love. Shalom is medes ha-teferes. It's the third path. There's no question. It's just a matter of simas lev. Again, we're having such a wake-up call, such a global wake-up call. We're in the three weeks. We know why, what, what the cause is. We have these notes from the Rebbe and many more. As again, I'm not referring to anything specific. I'm not hinting to anything. I'm talking about a general situation. How much more we can do? Absolutely, we can do more. And one act, one good act, one good word, one good thought 
can shift, as the Rambam said, and change the whole world and bring personal and global redemption. So that is our greatest enemy. And that's the enemy we need to fight with full force, but done with light. We're not talking about fighting war with war. We're, fighting, we're talking about bringing light and love and kindness and unity. And today can be done in unprecedented ways, the use of technology in every possible way. I feel amiss if not to use this platform, this program, to not mention this in a time like that, uh, like, and like now in the three weeks, and which is essentially the essence of Simba Mishpat Tepad Vishava and what we spoke earlier, finding the deeper power. Yes, more love, more kindness, more gentleness, more giving in a time like this reveals the Yehovchu, the transformational element that we can transform the negative into the positive and darkness into light and concealment into revelation. Okay. We'll go to a, a, another question. We'll start with the questions. How should we react to good things happening to us during the three weeks? Shalom, Rabbi. How should we react to good things happening to us during the three weeks, like a big sale, a good job offer, etc.? How to be happy during these times? Tadarabah. Let's make something clear here. The three weeks, yes, is a uh, sad period because of the events that happened. As the Mishnah says, five tragic events that happened on the 17th of Tammuz, the beginning of Bein Amtsarim, five tragic events that happened on Tisha B'av. But this is not some fatalistic statement that the three weeks is uh, all negative. There are things that Torah tells us. Stay away from if you have to go to a court of law or just certain different adversarial situations. Chaydashadr is a time that's more predisposed. So think of it as a predisposition. Just like in other negative things can happen, and have happened this year especially, in of beautiful things happen. In the three weeks, beautiful things happen. Children are born, there are simchas. Simchas, I mean natural simchas. A bris on Tishabov with all the halachas involved. So it's not, this doesn't mean that three weeks is, God forbid, a negative, a, a negative things happen. It means it's a time we have to be more sensitive, more careful, more introspective due to the events, the energy, the negative energy in the air, if you wish. But as I said, even that is a deeper positivity. But there's beautiful things that happen. Every second, the fact that we're breathing, we're alive, we're, uh, we're here, is a blessing, is a gift, which we should thank for. So if anything beautiful happens in your life, what's the surprise? Absolutely. How to celebrate? There are halachas, how to celebrate. Maybe make an extra siyum in the nine days and celebrate that way. But, uh, but that's, that's the point to remember, that there's no such thing as fatalism. That means something happens on a certain day, therefore that day is, is a bad day. There's no such thing. How do we be happy? We spoke earlier how to be happy. There's a Torah way of being happy. A simcha shal mitzvah, simcha shal And when you do it that way, by all means, shabosim of the three weeks. Chabad always emphasized not to show any grief in, the, in, the, in any open way. Because Shabbos is, transforms. Shabbos has the power to transform the negative into the positive. All again within the, within the guidelines of Torah and Halacha. Okay. The next question is a very painful one, and I would rather not have addressed it, but as we said, as I always say on this program, we uh, ask questions others are afraid to ask, and answer, answers others are afraid to answer. And um, therefore, sometimes we need to address things that are relevant, that are happening, and we need to know how to 
react. How should we react to the recent Chil Hashem caused by someone who last year created an enormous Kiddush Hashem? Another person writes it this way, Rav Simon. This enormous, enormous Kiddush Hashem has now turned into an enormous Chil Hashem. Desecration of God. What is wrong with us? How do we keep messing everything up? Why does the Ebrister bother with us anymore? Well, let me, give, let me begin with the last question. God created a world where uh, human beings have been messing up from the beginning of time. Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, were created by God. They didn't have parents. They didn't have any human influences that could be an excuse. There was never an excuse, but it could be a reason for dysfunctionality or other stuff. They were given the opportunity and they ate from the tree of knowledge. They messed up using those words. And ever since, that's been our history. God created the human being flawed. Obviously the goal is, as I mentioned before, was for us to overcome our flaws, to repair them, to transcend them, and to direct our choices and our actions toward building a world. Tikkun. But at the same time, this is how we were created. It's not an excuse. I'm not trying to say, oh, everybody's flawed and everybody can do whatever. No. But we have to realize that God is not giving up because God created the world precisely, a world that was not with perfect human beings. And we have a battle. And he had a vote of confidence in us that we will choose correctly. But sometimes we don't. So how do we look at a situation like this and how do we react? How do we respond? A person does a crime, they're accountable for it. We're not trying to minimize it or push it under the carpet or give excuses. No. What's wrong is wrong. And yes, it caused a chil Hashem. But let's put things into context. A human being can be flawed. And what we learn from this, you can be flawed and make mistakes and still make a kiddush Hashem. So someone's going to say, because I made mistakes and so on, and I crimes, and even intentional ones, I shouldn't do anything positive. On the contrary, here's a lesson that even someone, for whatever reasons, ended up doing what they did, made a tremendous Kiddush Hashem that forever, in many ways, sanctified God's name in the, in the, in the eyes and ears of millions of people. It's true, when they hear this, it may taint it, but... That's because that's how we are. But let's be honest. The message he said in the Kiddush Hashem lasts. It stands. Obviously, it would have been a lot better had this not happened. So we're not looking to minimize it. But we have to recognize that we're not in a position to cause judgment. Who of us is perfect? On the contrary, I would suggest everybody make a Kiddush Hashem. And try to avoid flaws, try to avoid making mistakes, try to avoid doing anything that's wrong. It reminds me of a letter I saw the Rebbe wrote to a doctor who used to come to my classes. He was a doctor, and later in his life he started going to shul and synagogue, and he went to a shul, and there someone used to sit there in the shul in front of him and always speak. And it disturbed him, and he didn't know what to do, so he wrote to the Rebbe. And he was a person who had a, uh, let's call it a short temper, a short fuse, they should say, I should say. And the Rebbe sensed it, then he writes to the Rebbe, what should he do? It's annoying him, it's disturbing him, he can't. He had three choices. Either I yell at the guy who's speaking, or I leave to go to another shul, or I ignore it. 
And the Rebbe gives him a fourth option. He says, next time the person speaks, think to yourself, look how beautiful a Jew is. Even a person who speaks in a synagogue comes to daven. This was not justifying. Obviously, he shouldn't be speaking. It was an attitude. So a person who's done a crime is accountable and, uh, and needs to be accountable and so on. No question. What should our role be? Sitting and gossiping and talking about how bad he is? What benefit? Usually gossip doesn't end up in any benefit. What lesson do you learn from it? So here are the lessons I would suggest. One lesson is that we're all flawed and people make mistakes and yes, they have to be accountable. At the same time, they can also do tremendous good and create a tremendous sanctification of God's name. And that we could all do tshuva. Every person can correct their ways. No one is beyond that. These are practical lessons. Everything else ends up being just gossip and talk. Do people gravitate to that? Yeah, but then you ask them, so what came out of this whole gossip? We're all saying, oh, look how terrible a guy made a chil Hashem. Okay, so are we learning from this? We should make sure we shouldn't do so in a subtle way. What, what kiddush Hashem, what sanctification are we doing? That's how a constructive and productive person thinks. So again, this isn't minimizing, this isn't pushing away. We're talking about it very openly here. But it's also putting things into context. And most importantly, what lesson do we have? What does it teach us? Okay. Next question. Is the pandemic a sign that our shlichus has ended? Dear Rabbi Jacobson, thank you for your unwavering commitment to Chassidah Supplied. Week in, week out, you never fail to give us fresh, yet timeless Chassidah perspectives on timely and important matters. During these unusual times, as a shliach not able to do all the programs and hosting together with the thousands of shluchim around the world, I had a thought and I would like your opinion on it. As we know and as, as, you've, men- as you've mentioned, this is opening a new chapter in all of our lives in many different ways. The new normal around the world, the new normal and Be'ezus Hashem leading us to the Gu'ula. Could it be that we are getting signs that our official shlichus as we know it is finished? The Rebbe did tell us that we elevated all the nitzutzim, the sparks. So maybe this pandemic is a way that this is expressed. And now our shlichus is just to focus on Inyoni Gula Mashiach with our communities. Please advise, and if so, how does one go about bringing a deep awareness and belief of Mashiach to a community when many are not ready to commit to down-to-earth mitzvahs? Thank you once again, and I look forward to your response. May Hashem bless you with everything you need, and all the koyach to continue your Avedis HaKadosh. Okay, very good. Excellent question. Thank you for asking it. So let me just begin with, may sound like semantics, but it's actually very vital. Our shlichus never ends. There's no such thing. The mere fact that we exist means that God wants us here. That means we're on a mission on earth for sure, but even in heaven. The Rebbe brings in some of the sikhs from the Kutateta that even Eirein Sof is a shliach because the fact that it exists means God sent it as it's his ambassador. So anything outside of Atmos is already a shlichus. Shlichus never ends. It takes on different shapes and forms. And that's what we need to look at. So yes, indeed, this pandemic is a wake-up call. And as I've heard from many social activists, shluchim, rabbis, community leaders, teachers. If your entire shlichus is based on social interaction, hugging someone, 
inviting them to a Friday night dinner, Kiddush club, and all that comes with the social interaction, then this is a very challenging time. As a matter of fact, some people may say, you know what, I haven't had a hug from my rabbi in months. It's optional. Maybe I don't need it. But if your connection with, the, with your constituents is through stimulating their mind, igniting their heart, nourishing their soul, that can be done now more than ever because people are far more receptive and far more pneumistic. They're going to apply themselves more. It's not by rote. And that's what we have to look at ourselves. So it could very well be that this is a new stage. I, I say could be, I will say for sure, of a deeper type of connection. Not just a superficial one. Now, of course, it's beautiful to hug people. It's beautiful, the unconditional love, especially in Chabad. You can come and completely be non-judgmental, loving. That's ABC, but that's not the foundation of a shlichus. The shlichus is your futzah minasech Yes, it's the foundation as the fundamental principle, but it's about spreading the wellsprings, teaching, educating, helping people change their mindsets, their heart sets, their actions, their thoughts, speech, and action, change their attitude to life. And that's something that now we have an opportunity to do more than ever. Perhaps as a matter of fact, because we're not having that social interaction quite the same way. So I know some people are saying, well, I can't wait till this is over, everything is going to go back to the way it was and everything will be fine. No. This is an absolute opportunity to look, relook, revisit your shlichus. And this I say not just to Chabad, to anyone. Revisit why you do what you do, how you connect, and find deeper ways of connecting. And yes, as the Rebbe said, we don't have to wait for the pandemic in 2020. Already in 1991 and before that, that we finished the work. Chayasara Tavshinun Beis, the Rebbe said, the Shlich is finished. What finished? The stage of fighting good and evil. The stage of that battle. But now the stage is to open our eyes to our higher awareness. And indeed, if you look through history, you see something interesting. There was a time, up till 300, 400 years ago, where the enemy, the world, was a pagan world. It was a world that was run by individuals. There was no such thing as rights, human rights. There was no such thing as morality and ethics, except if someone had that whim. Today we live in a world with far less violence, far more peace, far, far more higher values and morals. It still doesn't mean that people are perfect. Obviously we have our challenges. But institutionalized, we have institutionalized freedoms. That all people are created equal and have rights. In all countries in the world, in almost all countries of the world. That's a dramatic change. The Jewish people always had these values. But they were persecuted from the beginning of time. This is the first time in history we're not being persecuted. So there are shifts in how the shlichus is performed. Now obviously, when the Rebbe says that the Berurim are finished, so people say, so why is the Gula not here? Because we're still accustomed, even though the Yetzirah may not have no power over us, but psychologically it has power. Because if you've been used to fighting the seductions of, the, of your own selfish side, you've been fighting defense against all kinds of negative, hostile forces of a world around us, psychologically it's very hard to change our mindsets. What the Rebbe is saying is, time to open your eyes to a new reality. There's still challenges. There's a very fascinating letter from the Rebbe, printed now in the second volume of Igris Kedish. It was originally printed in Chuvasu Biyurim, these were answers the Rebbe gave in a country called Kevitz Labavitch that the Rebbe published in the early years in the 40s. 
And he answered questions. One of them was a question to explain Tchiyas HaMesim. It's very fascinating, very long. But in the introduction, he gives a whole fascinating, sweeping historical overview of, of history. And says there are three stages. Stage one is the battle between good and evil. The good inclination, the evil inclination, who's going to win out? Stage two is when the battle is over, but there still exists good and evil. Remnants and also psychologically, I'm adding. That's Yemoysa Mashiach. But there's no battle anymore. You have to now acclimate yourself to a new reality. Then comes stage three, God will eliminate all the toxins. And will, yes, will destroy and kill the Yetzirah. So we see this. There's three different stages in Shlichus. Even when Mashiach comes, and even in the last stage, there's always going to be a Shlichus. The Shlichus then will be to teach Chassidus, to learn, that's what the Rambam writes. The entire world, its entire business will be to know God. And knowing God is an endless journey. It's not like we finish the shlichus and we go to sleep. The journey now goes. Instead of fighting good and evil, we're fighting between good and better. Not say fighting. Growing from good to better and better and better. Mechayel al-choyel from strength to strength. Tzadikim or tamid rechom We have no peace. Not in this world, not in the world to come. Because it's an endless journey as the Alter Rebbe writes the end of Egeres HaKedosh 26, that will be Lichyachet Yechudim, will be growing, but not through fighting the negative, in the good, a constant growth. That's a shlichus too, that's what we'll be doing, we'll be teaching. So I would say this pandemic could be a transition to that stage. So now the focus has to be less on fighting the negative, but now it's time to embrace the positive within our souls, within God, within the world. We see the changes technology, politically, religiously, advances that are all signs and signposts of a better and greater world. Is it there yet? But we're right at the threshold. We're not there yet, right at the threshold. And we are part of the unfolding drama, our actions, our attitudes. So what a real shleichus should be doing, you're talking about changing people's attitudes. And now is the time, because since our existing systems and comfort zones and security blankets have been rattled and disrupted is an opening. People feel more vulnerable. They don't feel, oh, I must run to a restaurant or to a baseball game or to this or to that. There's a materialism has been weakened, you can say. It's fragility has been exposed. And we have the opportunity now to bring that picture in. So the shlichus now is actually far greater and far more responsible in many ways. It's adjusting to new realities instead of just trying to hold on to the old norm, to create new norms. That would be my response. So, social, there are elements in that type of closeness, but now there's also soulful closeness. And that comes through learning Torah, davening, mitzvahs, actions. The three amudim, teira vedig mulis chasadim. Cognitive reconditioning, emotional reconditioning, and behavioral reconditioning. That is something we can do now, maybe in ways that we never were able to because of the situation we're in. People are more at home, you have more attention, people are more focused on that inner life, and so on. Okay. The next uh, question is, uh, well, 
An interesting question. We cover everything here. Can I wear a mask made of shotness? If someone is in a situation where they have to wear a mask to prevent COVID, but the only mask available is made of shotness, is it allowed to be used under the circumstances? Okay. So as usual, I always mention I don't paskan halachas. We don't rule on halachic legal guidelines here in this program. You go to your rov. But since this was asked, so let me just point out a few things. First of all, is it indeed a situation where you can't find another mask? I mean, today you can use a sweater, you can use a garment, you can use a handkerchief, you can use a bandana. I mean, there are many ways to, uh, to, to create a homemade mask. If indeed you're talking about a situation you're on a desert island, there's only one mask made out of shotness, a type of Iliad. So first of all, if you're on a desert island, I don't know if you should need to wear a mask if you're alone. But regardless, pikuach nefesh dechel which is even a suffix. If there's a, a question, even a question of a question of danger to someone, then even shotness is also yudecha shotness. But I don't know if that's the situation. Being that I, I don't want to paskin as a rov here, I'm just putting it into context. I would assume, maybe I'm wrong, that a rov would probably go along with this discussion and say, yeah, if you don't, since when is it the only way to wear a mask is a shotness. But if indeed, hi, hypothetically, there would be no other way and you could put people in danger, so there's a pekuach nefesh issue here. But again, as always, I refer you to your local rabbi and ask the rov that shailan halacha. I just weighed in here because the question came up and may not, and just many, many of you may have such a question directing you to the rov and also giving a little context to this story. Okay. Next question. Yesterday in the parsha we read, Matas Mase, we read the story of Reuven and God. How are the tribes of Reuben and God allowed to settle outside of Israel? How is it that the tribes of Reuben and God had got to settle outside the borders of Israel? It seems their statements should have caused them to be punished, like the Meraglim, the scouts, who that's what they are. They, they wanted to stay outside of Israel. But Moshe Rabbeinu agreed to their requests. In the future Messianic times, when we are all supposed to live in Israel, can some groups say, hey, we like the land in the Andorondacks better, so we prefer to settle there? Okay. So there's a very powerful and beautiful sicha from the Rebbe in Lukute Sicha's volume 8, the Sicha Matis. I believe it's the second sicha. He discusses this directly with, and cites many commentaries. What exactly is going on here? Because on one hand, Reuven and God, they had a lot of cattle, and they saw the, the very fertile pastures outside of Israel, on the right side of the right, the east bank of the River Jordan. And they asked, can we stay here? God will already fight the war for the rest of the Jews. They were preempting that issue. And Moshe says, no, you can't stay here. The other Jews are going to fight. Your brothers are going to fight. And you're going to stay here protecting yourself. So then they said, we'll, come, we'll join the war. But we want to stay here. And at the end, Moshe Rabbeinu agrees. But, as many commentaries point out, that the agreement was but it was begrudging. At the end of the day, they were punished for this. It says, Nachlem of Uhelas, Mishle and other places, it says that when the destruction of the temple came in these, during these weeks, they were the first to be exiled because they were on that side of the river, Jordan. So was it a right thing or not a right thing to do? On one hand, it seems that it was wrong, and that's why Moshe rebuked them, but then he agreed at the end once they decided to go to war. 
So the Rebbe explains this, and just briefly, he says the following. That, as a matter of fact, Moshe compared them to Meraglim. Avesechem. He says, your, your fathers, your forebearers did the same. He's referring to the Meraglim, who wanted to stay outside of Israel. But then he agreed. So one second, so why are they different than the Meraglim and the Scouts? So the first point, of course, is once they agreed to fight with other Jews, which means that they did not separate themselves, so they showed that they're in, they're not separating themselves. But still, so the Rebbe explains, based on Chassidus, that what Miknarah, why did they want to stay there? Because they wanted to be shepherds. Shepherds was the choice that the Ovis, the patriarchs, and the Shvatim, the tribes, why shepherds? Because when you're a shepherd, you're somewhat apart from the hoo-ha of the Wall Street of the marketplace. The challenges of living in an Eretz Neshevis, in a very civilized place, meaning Israel, which was like Eretz Echel Sheshver, in the words of the Maraglim, the challenges of that type of business world was what they wanted to avoid. But the key difference is the Maraglim said all the Jews should remain in the Midbar. Bnei Reuven and Bnei didn't say all, only on themselves. Because even according to the fact that the Maraglim were wrong and we have to work Dirabetachtenim, transform this material world, you cannot live a life of asceticism. Nevertheless, nevertheless, there's still difference between Yeshve Eil and Bali Esek. Bali Esek are people, business people, they're more immersed in the world. But even then you need Yeshve Eil, people who are st- st- scholars, teachers, rabbis. So the Bnei God and Bnei Ruven felt that even though, yes, they had learned the lesson from the Meragam, we're not talking about everyone staying here, but some tribes... They talked about themselves, want to be shepherds. But yet, it was not necessarily entirely correct because was their intention to help? The reason you have Yeshuael because it helps transform the Tirabitahtainim. So when they participated in the battles, Moshe felt, okay, he would allow it. But it still remains that it wasn't necessarily the Chatchila. There's some that say Moshe agreed for Paniya Shalom. You look, at the comment- you look at the footnotes and the commentaries that are cited in the Sikha, you have a bigger picture of it. But one thing more that the Rebbe once said in a different place, that uh, the Bnei Grodri Ruven is Because of their connection to Moshe, they wanted to stay where Moshe was. Moshe, of course, would not go into Israel. He would be buried on the other side of the east bank of the River Jordan. So they wanted to stay with Moshe. So that was another justification, so to speak. But it's not that simple, because at the end of the day, yes, when the exile came, they were taken first. So that, I hope, answers the question. As far as the future messianic times, no. You can't decide living in the Andorandaks for your own comfort. Here, they had a justification because it was Aduri Aveda. The Rebbe Saizeh from the Kutateta, from Chassidus, they wanted to serve God better that way. It wasn't because they liked the climate and the environment, and it was just for their, their livestock and their flocks. It was for a deeper reason. Even the Miraglim was a deeper reason, but there it was a grave sin because they were defying what God said to do. But the distinction between the Miraglim and them I just explained. Okay. Let us now do, as you may see, I'm trying to also incorporate and starting to um, reorganize my life to be a little more as it was before BC, before Corona. Though we're still addressing the issues because they're all issues that people are dealing with, but I'm trying to incorporate more questions and some that are not necessarily relevant to this period. But again, everything is relevant at all times. So as such, I'm going to reintroduce the last thing we always did in every program was Hasidus question. So here's a Hasidus question. 
based on a sikha from Pinchas Tovshinun Aleph. So Chassidus speaks focus versus multitasking. Chassidus speaks about being a pnimi. A pnimi. A pnimi means an internal person and being completely focused on one task. In the Sikha Parshas Pinchas Tovshinun Aleph, 5751, the Rebbe explains about the Goyrel, Hayyam Medaber, that the, why did the Goyrel, the Goyrel actually was a miracle. The Goyrel, the lots they threw, when they separated the land, so the Goyrel itself, the lot spoke a miracle. The Rebbe explains why, because something that's holy is to be through and through, that it itself is declaring its statement. You look in the Sikha. So the questioner is asking, does being focused on one task mean, or how do you reconcile that with the ability, especially of women, to multitask? Does that mean a woman can't multitask and do two things at the same time, like, take, like, talk, like talking on the phone and sweeping a floor? Okay, very good question. So in the concept of panimi and uh, focus, to- ultra-focus on one task, one of the things the Rebbe brings in that Sikha Pinchas Nunalov is the Fridi Rebbe Rashab in Teir Shalom, we find. The Bochrim were once singing, a, the, the Rebbe Rashab was going to say a Maimach Siddis, and the Bochrim was singing a Nigan, a Chona, a preparatory song before they says the Maimach. And the Rebbe Rashab says that they were singing quickly because they wanted to hear the Maimach, so they were rushing it. He stopped them, and instead of saying the Maimach, he said a long talk about being a Primi. That even when you're doing something that prepares you for another thing, while you're there, you have to be there completely. Complete focus. Now, let's understand this. Does this mean that when you're sweeping the floor, complete focus, and if a baby's crying, you don't hear it? So multitasking is not a contradiction to this focus. When a woman who has the power to multitask much more than a man is sitting and learning Torah, or saying Tehillim, or doing some other Dovisha Begdusha, or focus completely on her child... She knows she's wise enough to know not to multitask. Multitask doesn't mean that at all times you're multitasking. It means you're capable of, and there are times when you're doing more superficial things, that a woman has the capacity to do it more than a man. A man may be difficult to chew gum and, and sweep the floor. I'm saying that half humorously. But the woman has that capacity. That's one key point. So it depends on what we're talking about. Secondly, when you're dealing with things that are tasks, that are not, doesn't require that type of investment, as I said, more menial or more means to an end, it can't necessarily compare that to the singing a nigan before a maimah. It means that, yes, you do it, but you don't require that ultra-focus. Ultra so bottom line is it's not a contradiction. The, the idea of a pnimi applies to everybody. And at the same time, multitasking has its milas and its qualities. And it needs to be used at the right time. And indeed, women do have that power more than men, maybe because of bina yaseira nitna be'isha, more bina, more details, and able to focus on many different things and seeing how they're connected. However you explain it. Okay. Okay, with that, let me do one follow-up. Last week I spoke about BLM signs. In episode 317, so someone writes, I have a Jewish neighbor displaying the BLM sign. I find it offensive, and I have called out the anti-Semitic slant of BLM. He says he can look beyond that to the general message of solidarity for the black community. 
my, my Torah teaching compels me to not let our values be diluted out again. Is not peace between... But again, is not peace between neighbors important? So I discussed this last week, and I'm not, I don't need to go over what I said. I think I suggested a balanced approach. I saw other comments that I should have read in different places on this program, I think on the websites, talking about this, and some said the other, other way around. A neighbor insisting that I do something? Why, why am I not insisting that they do something? What, what right do they have altogether what to say to me? But as I agree, we do so we need to find the right balance. You don't want to be offensive, but you also want to be honest and you want to be truthful. Just to do something, to placate someone when, it's not a, when you don't believe in it, or there's actually good reason not to do it, is not the way to go. So there we have to have common sense and we have to be wise and we have to be balanced. It's a general approach to this. Okay. Now, um, I feel like a little balchev in the sense that I uh, owe a debt. Besides a debt of gratitude to all of you who listen and share and partner and help and support us. I've been asked quite a few times by quite a few people. They said a few months ago, the beginning of COVID, you sang a nigan, a song at the end of the program. And uh, some said we really were very uplifted and empowered by it. Would you mind singing? So I feel like uh, responsible and uh, want to acknowledge that. So I will sing a nigan at your request and with your permission. Being that we are going to the month of Av, month of Av is Aryeh, Aryeh, the, the mazel, the sign of the month. The Shalosh says in the Samach Tzedek sites that Aryeh is an acronym for El Rosh Hashanah Yom HaKippurim and Hishayin Rabbah. So you can see from that again the theme we spoke earlier that from Aryeh, from Av, the sad month is born El, month of compassion, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Hishayin Rabbah, when is the conclusion of the sealing of the, of the, of the decrees and the sealing of the Destiny of ours throughout the year. So I'll sing a, a Yom Kippur nigan at San Yom Kippur right after Shemineshre. <clears throat> Oh, 
has been Chassidah Supplied, episode 318. May you have a very blessed and healthy and strong week. A blessed Chedesh. Yehov Chiyom Emeil L'Sosan L'Simcha L'Meidim Tevim be transformed into celebration Begula Hamitis V'Ashlema. This program is brought to you by My Life, Chassidah Supplied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidahsupplied.com slash donate.